in. We must we have a seat. Holy cow, is that me? I'm on fire. <laughs> I'm ready to go, ready to preach. <laughs> so, wow, I've never had that happen. That usually happens to John. He's the one on fire typically. So here I am. I get to uh, preach today. Now, before we jump into the message, what I'd like to do, uh, once again, is I'm going to ask you to bring your attention to the screen to just light the candle for this this last, this third part uh, piece in our message today. So if you will, this is radical. This is awesome. It's about the good news of Jesus. So uh, just about three to four minutes here, uh, depending if you fall asleep on it or not. If you don't fall asleep, it's four minutes. Okay? Amen. All right. You got, I got thumbs up back. If you know any Christians, or if you happen to be one, you've probably heard the word gospel as a kind of summary of Christian belief, connected to phrases like, God loves you, or Jesus died for your sins. But over time, religious words like gospel can lose their power and meaning by becoming too familiar. So let's take a moment to rediscover what this important word, gospel, meant to the people who wrote the Bible. Gospel translates the Old Testament Hebrew verb, biser, and the noun, besorah. The Greek New Testament equivalent is euangelion, which is a compound word. Eu means good, and angelion means announcement. All of these words mean good news, but what kind of news? Well, in Hebrew, beser is what we might call national news, or a royal announcement. Like when King David hears a messenger beser that his army was victorious in battle. That means he still rules on his throne over the people of Israel. And after David dies, his throne is passed on to Solomon, his son. And when he was inaugurated as king in Jerusalem, a herald spreads the Besorah, that a new ruler is in charge. But after Solomon's death came a bunch of bad news kings, whose corruption led their nation into self-destruction. This is why the prophet Isaiah announced the good news that one day the God of Israel would come as the cosmic king to confront all corrupt and violent kingdoms and restore his rule over all nations. And so, when Jesus of Nazareth hit the public stage, he continued Isaiah's gospel when he went around announcing the euangelion of God's kingdom. Jesus claimed that God was restoring his reign over his people Israel and over all nations, and he was the one bringing it all about. Now, the euangelion about a new king in charge means a new way of life. Jesus said that living in God's kingdom meant following him by putting down the sword and seeking peace through radical forgiveness and generosity even toward your enemies. His good news required you to make a decision. This is why Jesus took his euangelion to Jerusalem to confront the corrupt and violent kingdoms of his day. But he challenged them in a surprising way with the power of God's generous love. As Jesus was being executed by his enemies, he received his crown and was mocked as a fake king. But he displayed true royal authority by forgiving his tormentors. Jesus was the one in charge that day, giving his life for the sins of others. And then, a few days later, everything changed. Jesus rose from the dead as the true king, whose love is stronger than death. He appeared to hundreds of his followers and told them to spread the euangelion, that all authority in heaven on earth now belongs to him. And they did share this good news all over the ancient world. They did it by writing the four accounts of Jesus' life that are the gospel. That is, they tell the story of how Jesus brought God's kingdom, how he lived for others and died for their sins, and then was raised from the dead. 
Jesus' followers also shared the good news by simply talking about it. This is why Peter and Paul, or Priscilla and Aquila, traveled all around, sharing the royal announcement. While it might look like the rulers of our world are in charge and can do whatever they want, the good news is that the crucified and risen Jesus is the true Lord of the world, the real king of all creation. And in Jesus' kingdom, things are different. It's where the real leaders are the servants, because the last are first, and the first go to the back of the line. It's where the hungry are fed and the homeless are welcome, because love is the most powerful reality of God's kingdom. And this good news is not easy to believe. It actually sounds kind of crazy when you first hear it, but something happens when people tell the story of Jesus and start living like he really is the king of the world. That's when this gospel becomes the best news that you've ever heard. Amen for the good news, yes. Tell you what, today we are wrapping up our mini-series, and of course it's about the Gospels. Now, the Gospel simply means good news. And so I'm so excited to uh, bring this wrap-up. The wrap-up, though, is just the beginning for some of you. Uh, for many of us, it's just that continuation of God's love and I'm so looking forward to presenting this message today because it is so powerful. Uh, if you grab onto it and you apply the principles I'm going to share today, I'm going to give you a couple things to do so that then uh, the floodgates of love will open up and you know about it. And so so uh, let's get into it. But before I do, of course, uh, we have any new people here. I think everybody knows me. Hey, if you don't, hey, for you that might have short memory, my name is Drake. Okay. Uh, I am the senior pastor here at the church, and let me say welcome to everyone. You know, I am so thankful uh, to be with you, so thankful. That was that was a great moment with, with music. Thank you so much for that. Uh, it, it's, always, it's always wonderful to, to follow, you know, you know some, some good music, yes? Uh, I've been around for 40 years. Listen, I've been preaching many different platforms. And let me just say this. There's some bands or choirs that will just knock it down and make your life miserable as a preacher because you got to come up here and make it, you know, stand it back up because it was tough. And nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, when you have good music and stuff, you come up here and just step right into that rhythm, that spirit. And uh, I, I am so thankful we have uh, our music team. And, and uh, with that, I do want to um, just make a quick announcement. Next week, uh, October 29th, we are starting a, a new service here. Uh, it's called uh, our fifth Sunday. Is that right? Service. Uh, and it's going to start next Sunday, 5.30 to 6.30. We're going to come together and we're just going to have an old-fashioned kind of revival uh, experience. And uh, we'll be singing some old songs. We sang one of them today, I believe. Uh, and I, you know, I was talking to Scott, and he's like, what, what is it going to feel like? Well, if you ever heard Billy Sunday or uh, maybe you know some of those old-time preachers like D.L. Moody and and I can even throw Spurgeon out there, uh, kind of in that vibe. And uh, I promise you, I, I won't. I won't preach. God is good. You're bad. Try harder. Uh, we'll flip that around in the style of uh, Billy Sunday, if you know that name. And so I'm looking forward to just bringing that back and just enjoying uh, just that type of uh, experience. So put that on your calendar. Come out and support us, and 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 just fall in love with God and each other during that time. And of course, the rest of the time you're you're breathing as well might help too. Okay? All right. Now, if you will, please turn in your Bible to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 22, to continue, of course, and wrap up this three-part message series about being 
mature in God's love, where we get to, as John shared, we get to support suffering people. Now, never forget, you are a people too, so you're kind of in that category. We all suffer at one time or another, but we get to support suffering people. Uh, and so that's the, the message of, or excuse me, the message or series titled title is called Big People Support Suffering Souls Part 3. And so with that, let me just kind of give you a, a review of what we've done over the last three weeks. Two weeks ago, we uncovered the 40th command of, of Jesus Christ in, in the model that we use, the 49 commands of Christ. We uncovered love the Lord your God. And if you recall, if we are properly applying this particular teaching to our life, uh, we should have a natural ability now, if we're developing it, a natural ability to be enthusiastic in our faith and in that love for God. That's what that was all about. And I, I hope you're working on this because we're not evolutionists. It doesn't just kind of happen through osmosis. You have to lean into it. Uh, we're creationists. You've got to develop some things. Once you get a truth in place and you know what it's supposed to uh, you know, develop and, and what needs to grow, in this case it's enthusiasm, You've got to water it. You, you, you've got to feed it a little bit with, you know, maybe a little manure. I don't know. Uh, and, and give give it some some nutrients that will help it grow. And I hope you are enthusiastic with your love and your faith. Then the next week we looked, last week, we looked at love your neighbor. Now this is a radical teaching because if 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 you understand the requirements that go with love your neighbor, then you can really put things into place. And if you remember, the requirement of love your neighbor and love God with all of your heart, mind, and soul is, anybody re recall what it is? What's the requirement? To be a good Samaritan. We are required to be that person, and we are to have compassion. And if you recall the habit, that develops gentleness or people skills. We have a lot of Christians who are harsh, mean, you know. Yeah, you got activity going on, but boy, do we need to work on this aspect of who we are. And when we see people in dire need, and that could be people, that could be marriages, that could be a church. You know, I started thinking about this a little bit, and, you know, I said, God, you know, lead me if I need to say this. When you look at our ministry, my biggest concern is in the Good Samaritan story, the character that our nursery, our children's church, and even our student ministry is in right now, it's going to be that traveler that's in the ditch, half dead. And I'm, my, my, I'm praying over that because uh, we, we have to be good Samaritans in the church and make sure that that works because otherwise it dies. Are you with me? I know that's a little kind of straightforward, but I think we need to hear that because it's our children that we've got to Get out of the ditch. And we're the ones to do that as Good Samaritans. And that's what that message was all about. And so uh, we're praying over that. Uh, yes, uh, we've got some challenges. Today, uh, October, next week, Halloween. we got bats in our buildings. Uh, and so uh, that, that hurt us because that bat infestation, uh, I don't know if you know this, cost us $68,000. Uh, get into your emails. It's all there. <laughs> Uh, and But why is that concerning? Because that was going towards getting a student ministry pastor here. But now we've got we to navigate that and make that a reality. 
we give thanks for it, but at the same time, we have to do everything we can to get our student ministry up and going, our children's church, and our nursery. Can I get an amen? We have to get there or we're going to miss them all. So that was two, uh, excuse me, that was last week. And this week, we are going to look at the 42nd command of Jesus, await my return. This is the 42nd command of Jesus. Jesus says, await my return. But what does that actually mean? Because if we misinterpret that, we become passive in ministry rather than active. So we have to understand what this teaching means. Or again, we will miss the mark. We'll just pass by uh, the, the one who was wounded in, in the ditch. We'll just be a passive person when it comes to our faith. And God never intends us to be that, that priest or that Levite that just passes by. The Good Samaritan story. So this week, it is await my return. And if you understand this properly in character and the character of Jesus, there's a character trait we're after. And this is a doozy. The character trait we're after with the 42nd command of Christ is punctuality. Let me say that again. Punctuality. Now, what's the opposite of punctuality? Tardiness. Anybody, raise your hand if you know anybody, including yourself, that is tends in their personality to be tardy. Yeah. Now, you know, I was in the military for 21 years, as I shared in Sunday School. This is a pet peeve of mine. A lot of people come in here, you've got a clock up there counting down. Yep. We're not going to wait for you. Not all about you. We put expectations and we, now, don't get me wrong, we, we're all going to be late, can't be punctual with everything, we can't be perfect, but I tell you what, uh, some people, it's just their personality, isn't it? <laughs> and, and it shouldn't be part of our personality, because uh, when we understand, await my return, and being punctual, actually when you're on time, not necessarily in the calendar sense, that, uh, but on time in God's faith, you really show that you love your neighbor. Think about that. We have 100 people in here. That would be nice. But if we had 100 people in here, uh, and let's say every week we were five minutes late. How many minutes is that? 500 minutes. How selfish now as a leader. Now, you can see why this is at the 42nd command. It's, it's time to grow up and be a leader. 500 minutes. Can you get any more selfish than that? Again, we have to start thinking and understanding like Christ. Now, again, I was late a couple times last week. A good person with a good character, what do they do? Call. Hey, I'm running a little late. But don't let that be a habit either, because I've got people in my life. Uh, they're on the calendar, and now you present that. They call me every week and say, guess what? You're going to be late. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay? So uh, understand what we are talking about here. Because we want to be punctual in God's love. Or can I put it another way? We want to put we want to be punctual in the commitments we make. Because too many of us are making decisions, basing our priorities, not on commitment, but on convenience. Are you with me? 
There's too many people, I'm talking Christians, we've got to grow up in, in the faith that uh, you committed to something, good intention, something else came along. Based on convenience, we make decisions, and then the commitment is shattered. And with that, along with punctuality, what happens is God's love is then not fully realized. And what that means, convenience, is most people, uh, they're making a commitment up front. They feel it. They like the emotion. Walk away. They say yes. Do it. Then the time comes. They no longer feel it. They're not in the emotion. And something more stronger in their feelings, like Dairy Queen or something, comes along. Or the sports game or whatever. And we don't follow through with our commitments because it's not convenient. Are you with me? And so we want to be people of Christ. And again, I'm, I'm so straightforward because we're coming to, again, this side of maturity of Christ, 42 teachings. And if you're applying these week after week, you just apply one command a week, knowing what it is all about, feed it spiritually, and I promise you, throughout the year, you're going to have a very strong character in how God designed you. Then you're going to be a person who's going to be reliable, loving, caring, and you're going to be mature. And we need maturity. We have seven more commands to go because after the clothing, the habits of Christ is in our soul, in our subconscious, guess what comes next? The armor of God. Thank you. So many people I heard last week, oh, I got the armor of God. Okay, let's talk about the armor of God. They can't tell you the six elements and what that is because you've got to have the clothing of Christ on before you can ever think you can wear the armor of God and even understand how to use those abilities or those elements of that metaphor, the armor of God. So that's why it's so important that we lean into this then we can get you to, we'll say, tech school, get you the equipment, the armor of God, so that then we are fighting for God's love, where we are helping each other in the sense of the Good Samaritan, where we're then awaiting Jesus' return in our character. Are you with me? And once that happens, we're growing up in the Lord. And we do await that we got to go back to the right attitude. The attitude of Jesus, I hope every one of you, your mind just went here, be attitudes. That happens at the very first command of Jesus. we got to have the attitude of Christ, and we're putting these things in place, and it doesn't take as long as many, most people think, but you're putting these in place, and you're waiting for that maturity. Jesus says here, talking to his disciples, with the Pharisees overhearing, it's the Passion Week. It's his, it's his last days here on earth before he has to go to the cross. And we experience victory in Jesus. And he goes and says, now await my return. Because if you know the Bible, the book of Acts is coming. The book of Acts means activity. Action by the apostles, by the disciples, by God's children. And if we don't get the Gospels, the good news, into who we are, as Paul said, over and over again, you're going to miss the mark. The other day I was with a young man. We're just 
just shooting the breeze. It wasn't a coaching session or anything like that. He shared with me, he says, you know what? I talk to Jesus daily. I said, amazing. Share with me what that looks like. And he goes, well, I, I just talked to Jesus. I said, well, what are you speaking to? Because you received Jesus, right, as your Lord Savior? Absolutely. How long ago? About 15 years ago. Well, then, what are you speaking to? Or who? He goes, Jesus. I had to pause and I said, sir, i got to share this. you got to get Jesus into your heart, Matthew chapter 5. You've got to learn how Jesus communicates and connects with people, uh, Matthew 6 and 7. So share with me how you speak to Jesus, how I speak to Jesus. I shared him. I said, this week I'm, I'm preaching on the command, await my return, and I'm speaking to Jesus. Jesus, I've got these commands pretty well in place now. I, I need you through the Holy Spirit to guide me and make sure that uh, you know my environment, in my mind, uh, in everything that I am, and, and, and Lord... Just get me so I could be a better witness for you so that I can become punctual in your love and become better in God's love. And I'm speaking to Jesus now or the commands or the teachings of Jesus. And through that, we, in that personal relationship, I get to come out here and share that with you now. And that just comes together. We transcend to where Jesus is now, where we are talking together in a sense of corporate discipline in church, where we are now speaking to Jesus. If you do not have the teachings, the commands, the instructions of Jesus in your heart, I'm going to challenge you to say, you've got to get the character of Jesus in your heart intentionally and know when you're speaking to Jesus. Amen? Or you're just going to pray, and your prayers are only going to hit the ceiling. Anybody ever feel like that? And so just like Anything in life, there's a design that God put in place for the human experience. And when we say we do it through Jesus, it's through the teachings of Jesus. Just like our parents teaching us uh, simple things of life, going to school, learning the ABCs, learning how to spell a few words. Thank God for spell check. Uh, and so, but it works the same way. I, I think what happens is we start speaking to Jesus thinking it happens in an evolution mode rather than a creation. We are to create that with God. And if we're not, we're thinking osmosis is going to develop who we are so we can be who we need to be, so we can improve ourselves, so we can get over ourselves, so that then we can give, other or give ourselves to others. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen by evolution or by chance. It happens, excuse me, happens as creation. Are you with me? You can't miss this. And I'm being this dogmatic about it because last week, two weeks ago, excuse me, love God with all of your heart, soul, and strength if you go to Deuteronomy. Love God with all of your enthusiasm. Yes? Love God with all of your emotions. Love God with all of your mind. And listen, young people, teenagers, young adults, no, you're not teenagers. Are you twenty? Getting there. All right. Our we have the mind of Christ. Yes. Three things. Jesus said, "I'm always about my Father's business." What's the Father's business? Command number 
40. Right? Love. But then we are to develop our mind, which is we've got to have understanding in God's love. Then we have to develop our mind and go after the wisdom of Christ so that we have insight as the Son has insight. Yes? Number three is we have to learn to reason as Jesus reasoned so that then we can truly honor this command in the sense of our heart, our mind, and our soul. And I wish I had more time to go into the soul, but I think we've kind of been using that. It is well with my soul. I hope you know what that is now, the soul, rather than the spirit, because there's an integrity there. If you miss it, you're going to miss God's love. If you don't know what that is, come and talk to me. I'd be more than happy to connect with you and talk about that. Okay, uh, Heather, I've been rogue for the last 10 minutes, so where am I? All right, with that, this is what we're going to do. First and foremost, let me make sure we understand. Let's break down await my return. Did I read the scripture yet? It should be in this head. Hang up the scripture. Jesse, we had too good of a time yesterday. <laughs> we had our life group yesterday. We won't go there. Here's our, here's our scripture, Matthew 22, 37. I'll bring it all together there. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, please hear this. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Are you, are you with me? Love God, love your neighbor. Now, most people are challenged with the interpretation of verse 40 here. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, notice what Jesus doesn't say. These two laws do away with all the other commandments. It doesn't say that, does it? It hangs on love. Let's kind of break this down. I have it real quick here. Uh, when we look at verse 40 here, see where I'm at in my notes here. I'll get there. Okay. Uh, sorry, Heather. I'm getting there. When uh, I'll just get back to my notes here. When first reading or attempting to make sense of this verse here, it makes no sense to the average person. So let's break it down. Uh, verse 40, uh, right there, all the law. Now we know this. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Israel nation along with other people. But we know that that word law equals Torah. If you are, if you've gone to Bible college in the Christian tradition, it's known as the Pentateuch. Okay? Or if you'd like, it's the first five books of the Bible, which are the book of Moses. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about with the Ten Commandments priority. And we know that in Matthew 5. And then, of course, uh, so another word for law is instructions, commands. So we can say all the commands, all the instructions, all the teachings, all the law, in the sense of what this is. And the prophets just equals messengers of God. So all of our teachings, all of everything that we've learned has to hang on these two commandments. And when you put them together, it comes to one word, love. Are you with me? And you are a messenger, and this is implying prophet, is implying you and me because we don't have prophets now. But what we do have 
are children of God, messengers of God, that are to put the expectation or the hope, just as a prophet did in the Old Testament. And so our, everything we do, everything, in the sense of vice and structuring, everything has to hang on these two laws. If not, you collapse. I was trying to think of a story here. I asked Heather to bring a, a picture up. When I think of this law, I think of a cable car that's going through, there it is, through a mountain area. And notice there's two cables there holding up the entire relationship and everything that's in that, in that car there. Now think about it. If we cut those two cables, what happens? We crash and burn. And this is a great analogy, a good example, because when you cut those two commands of God and your neighbor, the way it's presented, you crash and burn. Yes, spiritually, that catches up with you relationally, catches up with you morally, that catches up with you physically. If you look at our reality today, if we would just understand this, and these are the two commands with all the teachings and everything we do with our children, with everybody, we would actually be Christians that could actually respond with ability and with love and be intentional. Does that make sense? So everything hangs on those two commands. And by the way, we have to define love not our way. Too many people need to define love. We need to stand in love. And standing in love, believe it or not, when we identify that properly, is feeling and emotion. That's the, uh, I'll say, the identity or the noun of love. Isn't it amazing how many people, how many churches, how many families, I don't feel it. So since they don't feel it, he's like, yeah, okay, I get it. So what happens is there's no feelings, but they get to the verb aspect of love, which is activity. You see, to have true love, you have to be in the emotion, the feeling and the emotion of it, and you have to have activity with it. So it will be complete love. Who here has been in a relationship where a spouse is this person? Hey, I'm doing all this. I go to work and all this. Don't, don't you think I love you? But never once falls into empathy or feelings or the emotions of it with the other person. It's brutal. The church has knocked out emotions. Because we say it's the devil. No, that's compassion. That that deeper. That's enthusiasm. Passion. But do we have to have personal discipline with it? You bet. And then do we have to have activity? That's the whole picture of love. Husband. Wives, stop relying on feelings and convenience and fall into the commitment of love, not only in a marriage, but in a family and as a church. Are you with me? If we can turn things around, stop flying upside down, things are going to get radically different. Let me do this. Then I'm done. We're done right at 11 o'clock.
Let me give you four things. Please apply these to your life. If you put these four things into your reality, you will experience the internal power of God and you'll understand deeper the divine nature of God. And when you can get those two together, rather than praying and putting ceiling, you're going to get to God. If you do these four things, and they're going to sound so simple, but they're going to sound radical, but you need to do it God's way, which I'm going to bring out of Scripture here, so you can experience power in the nature of God. For you to really, really, really get into this, connect with God on those two commandments, first and foremost, we need to give thanks for all. First Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances. Did you hear that? This is the reason your prayers aren't being heard. We're not following and doing things God's way. I'm lying on you. Give thanks in all circumstances, situations, and relationships. This is God's will, His decision, His choice for you. In Christ Jesus, because you've got to know Christ, yes? Number two, like it or not, here's what the Bible says is what God wants us to do. Love your enemy. Every time somebody gives you a trigger, rather than biting them back with your anger, in the habitual way, you love them. And not only are we going to love them, guess what? We're going to bless them as well. There's a cough there, <laughs> It's God's way, God's power. This is how it's done. Number three, this one is, is a challenging one for us now as a church. We need to stand firm. Stand firm. 1 Corinthians 16, 3. Be on your guard. Stand firm. Stand firm. Commitment. In the faith of Jesus. And be courageous. For you to be courageous, by the way, you have to be vulnerable. You have to take risks. You got to get in the table. I'm too scared. I can't call it. Get in it. Love. Be strong. And the last thing I encourage you: write these down and practice them all next week. I double dog dare you. See if your life isn't better. The last one I'll share with you, and this is a one too. And then I'm done. Keep your joy alive and well. Too many Christians, the moment something happens, their tail goes between their legs. I lost my tail. Do you know Jesus had joy going to talk? And we are commanded to keep our joy. Now, joy and happiness are two different things. But we are always to keep our joy alive and well. Number one, give thanks for all things. Number two, love your enemy. Number three, stand firm. Number four, keep your joy alive and well. And if you do, I promise you, I promise you, the love of God will be energized by His ultimate reality where you truly get to experience His divine nature with Him and each other where then life is good, not some of the time, but, amen?
Here's the message. I can't remember the title. 